As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Inside Out. Inside Outer Limits is a regular feature on the Paranormal UK radio network. Hello everybody once again and welcome to another edition of Inside Outer Limits radio show with myself, Chris Evers, the man from Outer Limits magazine and of course, as usual, my co-host, Mr Philip Mantle, who is better known as UFO Royalty. Hello Philip, how are you? Good evening Chris, yeah, everything's fine here in sunny Pontefract as per usual. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's lovely when you say that, it's, you know, it's seven o'clock in the evening and we've got, instead of middle of winter, you know, <laughs> it's pitch dark out there, pitch black dark out there, you know, and uh, and this evening, it really is a lovely evening, isn't it, you know, it's, it's just a pity more of us can't get out and enjoy it really than we are at the moment, you know, so. Well, uh, any projects, any projects in the pipeline? Yeah, though? yeah, I mean, I always try and keep busy, especially during these uh, times of lockdown, it's you know, 
with all that's going on around us, you know, I've just just got on with things. I mean, uh, I don't, I, I know you're a workers, but back in 2018, I, I began to write uh, another book of my own. Uh, this deals with UFO landing cases in the UK, uh, and I've got about three chapters done. And then, of course, I met Calvin Parker. So, and, you know, the research and publishing of Calvin's work uh, and accounts, you know, took off. Um, so, you know, that my book was put on, rightfully so, put on the back burner. But once the lockdown came, um, you know, I, I resurrected it, pretty much nearly finished it. But um, some years back, um, many years back, in fact, I, I, I did a couple of little you wouldn't call them books, they're more like little booklets for a very young audience. And um, I'm told this all quite well, but I don't, I don't really know. But I always had the idea for um, a book for like an early teen kind of audience. So, you know, as an introduction to the subject. Because one of the things I've discussed with a number of people is like, you know, who's, who's the next generation of UFO researchers? Well, that'll, that'll be, yeah. you know, that'll be kids in high school as we speak yeah so i've been writing uh, a book for a, a teenage audience uh, it's called introducing ufos a young person's guide and um i've asked uh, we've interviewed him on here chris ronald kinsella uh, yeah. uh, i've asked ronald if he'll join in because i want to make uh, make it look visually as well as as provide information so ronald's going to do yeah. the artwork for it so it'll be a joint project uh, and that's ongoing again as 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 we speak. So and then great. yeah, then there's other books to edit and publish and um, you know so uh, just getting on with things as, as normal really. Yeah, I know one of the well the guests that we have this evening is um, is a, a lady who you have actually published. Um, is it Nancy Tremaine? Yes, we've got Nancy tonight from the United States. Um, I, I had the pleasure of publishing Nancy's book uh, not that long ago, so it's still in its early stages. It's called Preordained. Um, mm. I won't say much about what has happened to Nancy. I'll, I'd rather let her do that. But yeah. I, I know when I sent you a copy of the book, Chris, you were, uh, you know, fascinated. I think the only thing that stopped you from completing reading it is that you've you seem to have had a collection of new books arrive all at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, of course, yeah. I mean, it was my birthday on April the 3rd, so um, I, I, my wife brought, <laughs> brought me several books at the same time. So I've read a couple of those first, and one of them I've, I actually already had on Kindle, but not to worry. I've, I've got a hardback copy of it now, as they say. And, um, you know, I've, I've read, read through those, and I've only just, in the last three or four days picked Nancy's book up again and started reading through that and I have had a, a brief conversation on, on the internet with uh, with Nancy where I explained I was up to a particular point in a book I think it was is it Rose Fever Nancy hello Nancy yes. welcome to the show thank you so much for for having me and giving me this You're opportunity happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> a little belated uh, but happy thank you. birthday told lad <laughs> well, I've got, I've got a little bit of news for you anyway, Chris. Um, later this yeah. year, one of the things I'm going to be publishing is by a, a, a U.S. researcher called John Steiger. And John has written um, an item called the UFO Trilogy. 
and it's dramas for the stage. And basically, it is three screenplays, but for stage plays. And uh, we're going to—it's rather unique. So we're going to be publishing that. The 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 even though these are work of fiction in this these 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 three plays, they are based on yeah. real events. First one's Roswell. Second one's the Renlisham case, and the third one is the Linda Cartiel Brooklyn Bridge abduction. And um, we just before the lockdown, we had a production company uh, in Norway, believe it or not, show interest in it. So they've requested a copy, and we're, we've, we've been given some very positive news from Germany that uh, a company there may well indeed go on to produce all three stage plays. So you'll see them live and then they will film them as well and then sell the, you know, the, the DVD or whatever of the, of the, of the play later. So, um, do any of these, sorry, Phil, no, I'm okay. just going to ask, do, do, do any of these, um, these plays, do they feature the abduction scenario? Well, the last one does with Linda Cartiel. You know, this was uh, okay. this was uh, the, the, one of Bud Hopkins' books. So the the actual setting for it is based in Bud Hop the late Bud Hopkins' studio. You know, and, and a lot of it is through talking with the witness Linda Cartiel and the hypnosis sessions, as well as what happened to her in the first instance as well. Um, hmm. So um, with Roswell, for example. Uh, he actually, the, the, the author takes Roswell to court. So it's a courtroom setting. So you have the pros on one side and the cons on the other, arguing it out. And what John has done, he allows then the audience to become the jury. You know, well, you decide what happens at Roswell. And uh, as for the Rendlesham Forest incident, um, John has even been and met Colonel Holt in person. And um, that is a board of inquiry. So, again, it's a fictional story based on the real event. So it's a board of inquiry about what happened at Rendlesham Forest. So three very unique things. <clears throat> Staying in that theme of things, as you know, um, we're, I published Calvin Parker's two books, uh, the Pascagoula case worked with him and Dr. Irina Scott and a chap by the name of Douglas Wilson on interviewing new witnesses, new information, etc. And again, just before the lockdown, Calvin had signed with a, uh, a film and TV producer and we were expecting the fifth draft of a screenplay. So, of course, the lockdown came, but things are starting to loosen up a little bit and the producer has now back at work um, as of Monday he spoke to Calvin uh, and his wife Wayne I believe it was last night or the night before on the phone for about an hour so shortly we should have the fifth draft of the screenplay and uh, we're hoping it's ready to go uh, and ready for the market once it opens up again well that's brilliant news that means things are moving forward once again and uh, hopefully at some point in, in the not too distant future we may may just see something uh, produced at telling Calvin's well, story you know, that would be brilliant it would be marvellous I mean as we know the TV land in the UK is just starting to open up again um, this yeah. film starting to film EastEnders again whoa fantastic oh deep job <laughs> <laughs> 
you you will not know Nancy. EastEnders is um, a British soap opera. Um, it's been on British TV since the mid 1980s. It's based in London, so they all talk very differently to me and Phil. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you might notice, Nancy, uh, Chris and I are, are, are from the north of England. I'm from West Yorkshire. And, and Chris is from East Yorkshire, and we, we are only literally, what, 40 miles apart, Chris? Yeah, around about yeah, that. But both, even though we're only relatively close, we do have slightly different accents, but we're, bo we're both from, you know, the greatest county in the UK, and that's Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's turn this towards Nancy now. So, who is Nancy Tremaine? Who are you, Nancy? Tell us, please. I am so many things. Um, besides being a lifetime experiencer and a messenger and a participant with the hybrid project. Um, so, tell us about the hybrid project. What is that? The hybrid project is um, what the reptilians are, are, are doing and uh, mm -hmm. creating hybrids. Uh, for the new earth, um, yeah. remove well removing the emotions of fear, anger, mm -hmm. um, the desire for war, and they're studying mm -hmm. the emotions of love and empathy. Their biggest worry is is empathy because empathy is waning right now. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay, so. How did all this begin Begin for you then, Nancy? What was it? We all have mm -hmm. an, an occurrence, an experience that brings us into the subject. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see lights or we see something landed on the ground or, you, you know, or we mm -hmm. see something flying to the sea. What was it for you that brought you into the UFO uh, field? Well, it was an incident that happened in 1961. I was 12 years old and um, my girlfriend Cindy was 12 years old and we were inside of her house playing and it was daylight. I was never allowed out past uh, dusk or 7.30. So her father called for us to come out and, and the event lasted. The ship hovered between our two homes for over 20 minutes but, um, mm -hmm. above a tree, just slightly above a tree. Her father, neighbors, and there were three police officers. They all watched. This was a small village of Novi. It was still a village. And um, we all watched that, that ship. And uh, a car was coming down the road, and it was immobilized by a light that, that was emitted from the ship. And I would later find out that the person driving that car was named Martin Cohn, and he was an off-duty police officer patrolling that area. So we had three police officers with us, and he had called the... They used two-way radios back then, and he had yes. called the police chief, Libagal, and he said, strange object overhead, send cars. So... You would think, wouldn't you, that having three police officers, you would have the perfect witnesses to to actually go through this experience with you. Was there any particular shape to the craft or anything like that? Yeah. I do remember back in the early 60s, um, a lot of sightings were so-called the, the Adamski-shaped craft. You remember, the, remember the TV show, The Invaders mm -hmm. from Mars? Yeah. It's that kind of shape, you know. So it, what was the shape It like? was your typical saucer shape. But it, 
that it was silver, but it had a, a wide belt all around uh, the entire circumference of um, red, green, and white lights that appeared to be either flashing or rotating. You really couldn't tell they were going so so quickly. Hmm. And um, when the police arrived, I, I grabbed one of the police officer's pant legs and I said, is this... It was so hard to get out those three words, and they came out in slow motion. I said, is this real? Because I had to know that what I was seeing, they were seeing. And that's when we started to watch the car driving. Uh, and it was driving right underneath the ship. We couldn't believe it. Uh, I don't know why Officer Cohn did that. And uh, I became hysterical at that point, and I started jumping up and down, and I was yelling, over here, over here. And the ship tilted on its side, and it said, "We." it spoke, we see you. And I realized that the ship was alive. And that's when I yelled, do something, um, to the police officer. And he looked down at me, just a quick glance. And it was the first time I'd ever seen fear in a man's face. And at that moment, I, I knew my life would never be the same. And then it jumped from that moment, I was at home with my father, who was on the kitchen floor, kneeling and, and holding me and telling me that I was home and I was safe. But it was it was almost dark, and I it was ten minutes to nine, and I grew up in a, in a home like run like a boot camp. My father was a World War II uh, combat soldier, so we were perfect little soldiers. Um, so that just seemed odd that he was so happy to have me home. And um, it, was, it, it seems strange um, that you, what you mentioned a, a few moments ago about uh, the craft seemed to be alive, it seemed to answer you. Because myself and Philip, we have spoken about this kind of thing in the past. Um, my experience, one of the sightings I had, way back in the early 1970s, as Phil knows, we, I saw a set of lights go across the sky. And a group of lads was out playing soldiers um, early February uh about 4.30 so it was dark here in the UK at that time of night, clear sky I jumped up, once I saw these series of lights leapfrogging over themselves, over the sky and uh, got above me and I shouted, oh, look guys up in the sky, it's a UFO, it's a UFO and like it had heard me say that, it blinked out and, and I never saw it again, I, I carried on watching in the line of direction it was flying and mm -hmm. nothing it didn't see a thing so I've always wondered if they could actually hear us or, or, or visualise us or see us or something along those lines I mean, I, I found that very interesting what, what Nancy's had to say there um, because you know like we, we go back to um, way back to, to, to when UFOs actually began 1947 with Kenneth Arnold and I don't think Kenneth Arnold ever really thought you know that these were extraterrestrials and, I, and one of the sort of theories put forward at that time that perhaps these were life forms living in our in the upper atmosphere of the earth that we we'd never you know we'd never encountered before and I, 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 again research i've been doing recently on on ufo landings crits I've, I've been reading going through all the back issues of the flying saucer review and i, I, I want to get this gentleman's name right i think it was trevor constable Back in, I don't know if it's the 1970s or uh, time or the 1980s, that he claimed he could photograph these life forms 
uh, in the atmosphere. I think he used at that point, you know, infrared film, which was, you know, not yeah. not 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 on your high street shelves. And uh, so it, it, that that is is fascinating. You know, it, it, it's 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 something that you know I've come across before. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. Nancy, but I, oh, I, I, I just. Just before we carry on with Nancy, just I just want to remind everybody of uh, a gentleman who was actually featured at the Outer Limits magazine conferences, and he's all, we've also had him on the show a few times as well, Phil, Paul Sinclair. Mm. He actually calls these yes. uh, light forms yeah. intelligent light forms, yeah, doesn't he? he? So does. That's quite, it's quite appropriate, yeah. Well, Sorry, Nancy. Yeah, carry on. Uh, as I said, it was, it was getting dark, and... Um, I asked, my mother was at work, she got off at 9 o'clock, and I asked my dad if I could call my mom, because I wanted to tell her. Um, and I called her, and she said, I know all about it, several customers have come in and told me about it. And My father silenced me that night, and when I say silenced me, I mean he silenced me. And it was almost like a type of amnesia set in for that 50 years for the police chief, Lee Begall, for Cindy and myself. It just wasn't spoken of. Um, it just wasn't. And I didn't understand why. Um, and I didn't understand why it was light, and then I was home and it was dark. That always bothered me. But then in September 1st, 2011, jumping forward 50 years and two months, I met a former MUFON state director, um, via the uh, computer. I'd never seen the word ufology. I didn't even know there were people who, who studied this, this subject. And um, I sent him an email, and he got back to me immediately. And uh, he found a regression, regression therapist. I kept saying, I, I would love to know what, what happened. And he found a regression therapist. And um, through regressions, shared memories with Cindy, who also awakened in September of 2011, recorded phone calls uh, with the police chief for six years plus, we came to realize that this 1961 event was much more um, why it was such a well-kept secret. It was almost as if we had been programmed not to talk about it. This event was more than a sighting. Um, it was an intrusive abduction, and we pieced together the events. And ultimately, Chief, Be Chief Begall opened up about a military investigation that was done. And I had recorded uh, six years' worth of conversations. And I got a little upset because he, he said that he was defending the military. He said that was their job. Um, and he thought my, they came to my house to speak to me. I was a 12-year-old child, and my father threatened to kill them. He said he thought my father made a mistake not letting them talk to me. And he also said that they wanted to talk to everybody. And they came in prepared to disbelieve because things like that don't happen. They came from... Oh, they do, oh, they do happen, and they don't yes. want to admit it happened. Yeah. They, they came so. from... Oh, it's okay, Nancy. Go ahead. Go on. They came in from New Mexico or Arizona, making an official investigation. And shortly after that, they, my dad was flown to California, and offered a job position in Australia. Now, my dad um, never went out anywhere uh, 
for his job. Um, you know, I was so upset okay. with the government that's supposed to protect and support its citizens. They left us to suffer in silence. We were collateral damage. It still yeah. pisses me off. Yeah. Well, very understandable. It's it's very much true, isn't it, that, that Cindy, who was your closest friend, yes. uh, was one of the only people that actually believed everything that you said, really, about your experience. Well, we both spoke about it for uh, the years prior to her death from 2011 until she died in 2015 she was on board that ship with me mm. um, we lived it um, and Chief Begall remembers that I was missing yeah, yeah. so you I know you've already re uh, you, you've wrote one book um do you want to give us a title of that one? Yes, Symbiosis. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a, a brief, a brief uh, synopsis of, of what that contains? Yes. Well, it, it goes into great detail about the 1961 um, event and what happened yeah. on board, uh, what was done to me, um, okay. the, the removal of eggs, and, um, mm -hmm. and then how the high strangeness began. And uh, it's... That's where the second book comes in, Preordained, because <laughs> Preordained is also an autobiography, but um, it's far from a UFO book. It actually demonstrates how the hardcore experiencers have gone past the fear, and we're now mm -hmm. subjects of this expanded uh, state of consciousness and increased contact. And when I mean increased mm -hmm. contact, my life is a book. Um, I'm taken from episode to episode. The last three chapters of my book happened in a nine-day period, and each chapter is more unbelievable than the last. That's why it makes it so difficult to talk about this. Yeah. So, before we talk about preordained, mm -hmm. um, I know, what, what, did your experience back in 61, did it go in the press, or... Was it a later um, occurrence that it actually went in the press? It was never in the newspapers. Um, could never find it. Um, uh, but, By that, of course, I mean the actual sighting itself, not, yeah. Yeah, no. But they did talk okay. with uh, Police Chief Lee Begall in 2014. He did an interview and um, spoke of uh, the UFO and his officer. Um, but at that time... We were just piecing together all the um, memories. And it was only when I said to him, Cindy's father told her that there was a military investigation, and it seemed to spark a, in him. And then he started talking about it. And uh, his you can tell in each conversation I have with him, he reveals more and more information. Mm. Um, How does that make you feel, that... Um after all these years, oh, God. He, he has kind of come out of, of the closet, so to speak. Yes, it, you know, it, and he's actually admitting to the things that happened. Now, how does that make you feel? It just, uh, oh, it's just beautiful because I was validated, and Cindy was validated, and unfortunately, our lives for those fifty years, we lived in hell, multiple marriages, mm. abusive um, relationships. I suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder, panic attacks. Cindy attempted suicide. 
Um, but I did go through the, I became Nancy Drew investigator. I wanted every detail I could find, and it's unbelievable what I found, and, and, and it's in preordained. I went through the newspaper. I, I struck gold. I found an article. Um, it was dated August 3rd, 1961, and it was um, posted by the <laughs> the local minister right down the street from my house, the evangelical. Evangelist, evangelist minister. Evangelical, yeah. 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 And he was talking about the sermon he was going to do that Sunday. And he titled his sermon, quote, The Martian Question. And there's even, it's in the book, and there's even a, <laughs> a picture of a little Martian. And the reason he gave that sermon was it was the only comfort that the people of Novi got. It was all we got. Mm. The government shut everybody up. And when when they went door to door, and believe me, they went door to door, the reason they did that was they were looking for photos that were taken because that ship hovered against a clear blue sky for over 20 minutes. And you can bet your butt there were a lot of pictures taken. Yeah. And finally, somebody, somebody else must have seen it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And finding this absolutely. first article, I was able to actually put a date to the event. It was July 26th, yeah. 27th, or 28th of 1961. And I found two more articles in 1972. Um, article, Woman Reports UFOs in the Skies of Novi. A daylight sighting seen by multiple people. And ironically, and I'm going to say that so many times through, throughout my, my experiences, her grandson, Bill McDermott, was one of my friends from elementary, junior, and high school. Mm. And then the next article I found was Police Chief Libegol named one of the officers that stood with us watching the ship as Dick Faulkner. And the article that I found is Police Captain Takes FBI's, FBI, he turned FBI, Strenuous Training in Stride. Now, I approached him at uh, Police Chief Libegol's uh, 95th birthday party to talk about this event, and he wasn't going to have any part of it. He, he, he she turned and walked away from me, and um, he later, uh, when Begal, Chief Begall and I were talking about it, he came be up behind Chief Begall and he slapped him on the back and he said, "No UFO, we buried it." And he looked me right in the eyes when he said, "We buried it." Um, mm. So, and he's still alive. He's um, in his um, late eighties now. But Chief Begall just died. I uh, went to his funeral the 8th of March, and he was like a father. Uh, he was like a father to me. So losing him, yeah. I between the corona and and losing the chief. Yeah, um, been a bit tough. It's it's been really tough. Yeah. In I fact, his funeral was probably imagine. one of the last that was a real funeral. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Did you speak to your parents at, at, at the time, or in you know in, in the sixties, about the actual experience and what you went through, or, or did you only come out as an experiencer after was it twenty fifteen? Sorry, twenty twelve, twenty eleven. Did you only come out as an experiencer then, or did, did you speak uh, to anybody else before that? No, no one, no one. Cindy never spoke about it with anyone, not husbands, friends, family. And I went to therapist, and I never spoke mm. about it. But I did tell, if every therapist I would tell, 
there's something inside of me that has to come out. I need to be hypnotized. Well, that was the only word that people used back then. And yeah. um, they would just uh, give me a new diagnosis and whatever the medication of the month was. So, mm-hmm. no, it just simply wasn't wasn't spoken of. Mm. So, how would you compare um, how you've been treated then since you came out and and you, you you know started telling your story? How would you oh. compare that to 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 you know to the to the actual experience? Have people been friendly? Have they, have they laughed in your face, or what what's happened? You know, that's what's so heartbreaking is I'm, I'm, I'm very naive. I'm still naive. People can't believe how naive I am. But um, when I came out as an experiencer, um, I started to go into this abductee group and to MUFON meetings, and I thought, well, these are open-minded people I can just share with. Hmm. And um, I realized that they, were, they didn't believe me. And I felt that I had to confront one of the members, and I actually asked him if I was credible. And this is what he said. Credible? Your stories are incredible. We don't even have a frame of reference for your stories. And I have to laugh because that was before the the high strangeness even got strange. (laughs) So, no, no, it's not easy. You know, once you let that genie out of the bottle, you're out, and you can't put it back in. Mm, And I've lost family and friends. And the people who were comfortable with me, they, they, they've distanced themselves from me. And there are politics. You know, I'm 70 years old, so I'm not going to hold back anything. I'm going to tell it the way it is. There are mm-hmm. politics involved in this. You will hear the same speakers telling the same stories. And the people that were <laughs> experiencers were supposed to support each other. Mm-hmm. They actually see... Uh, competition. This is not a competition. You know, the librarians, I live in a, in a, in a village with less than 3,000 people here in Michigan, and when they found out that there was a published author um, <laughs> living here, they, they were thrilled. They asked me to speak. Um, they even wanted a selfie with me, and I gave, <laughs> I gave them my book, uh, and, well, apparently they read it <laughs> because they never hmm. got back to me. And I ran into one of the women at the local grocery store, and she couldn't push her cart fast enough past me. Yeah. But the- That's such a shame. It really is. The I always say that your story is your story, and if people don't want to believe it, then that's entirely up to them. But at the same time, they could still show you respect. You know, uh, the very fact that you have come out and you have made a, a stand for your beliefs uh, your belief system and and exactly what has actually happened to you. Don't you agree with that, Phil? I agree entirely with it. I mean, you know, the similarities with what Nancy was saying there with Calvin, uh, Calvin yeah. Parker. I mean, again, you know, Calvin kept most of his story to himself for an awful long time, and um, between myself and his his wife, we, we persuaded him to tell it, and uh, he's glad he did now. You know, and. Um, one of the things that Calvin's been asked uh, time and time again is, you know, how do you feel if people don't believe you? And he just says, I don't give a damn. <laughs> you know, yes. it, it says, you know, the truth is the truth. And that's it. You know, and if you don't exactly. believe me, then that's fine. You know, 
Calvin, Calvin, you know, is is a, a from from Mississippi, is a a southern gentleman. Um, but he, he he doesn't stand fools easily either. He, he, reminds, he reminds me a bit of, of uh, having a bit of Yorkshire in him, Chris, because you know Yorkshire people are known for for speaking speaking their speaking mind, the mind and speaking in a straight manner. Well, Calvin's pretty much the same. And he said, "Look, Philip, you know I, I'm a I'm a God fearing man. I see the birds in the sky. I see the river and the trees. You know, what more evidence do you need that that there's God? You know." And if people don't want to believe that, I don't care, you know. And um, so there's a lot of similarities with 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 what um, uh, Nancy's just been relating. And again, not just yeah. there. I mean, I remember speaking with a, a lady, an abductee here some years back, Nancy. And, um, you know, she'd gone first to her doctor. And like yourself, he, he gave her whatever was the medication of the month and said, this will cure it. Well, because it never did. But she didn't have just one experience. They were ongoing. She told her, her family. They had, I mean, what, you know, they had no idea what to do. And um, in the end, she, she, she spoke to me. Uh, and she was grateful that when she spoke to me, I just more or less sat there and listened. Exactly. And uh, act as like a, an unofficial counsellor, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and well, we spoke many, many times thereafter when she had subsequent experiences and tried to, she tried to come to terms with them. She did come to terms with them, tried to figure them out. And we even had the late Bud Hopkins sisters as well in in in, uh, in a small way. So there is a lot of parallels with other cases. What that that Nancy is saying, but I'm surprised that. There used to be, and I'm not sure if it's still running, there used to be a witness support group here, Nancy, in the UK. It was formed back in the, the 1990s, I believe. And, you know, outsiders like me, who were a UFO researcher, weren't allowed in, you know. And from, from, from and I know from its early stages, it did support the members of it. And I, I think it just petered out as people, you know, went their own way or passed away or whatever. But uh, so I, I do find that aspect quite surprising that people, you know, in the same sort of sphere. Uh, do you think there's a lot of I don't know if this is the correct word to use, Nancy, but do you think there's you said politics. Do you think there's a lot of jealousy or oh. something? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't never wanted to see the ugly side of this, um, this field. I never I never believed there would be. You know, but it's not all bad. Um, there are good things to it. Coming forward, um, I'm, I'm beyond needing validation. I'm so far beyond that. And, and the people that aren't on my ride, they just aren't on my ride. I've gotten lucky and I've met people, well, like you, Philip, and you, Chris. Um, it's okay. And it's really what it's all about. The people of like kind and like mind. And that's really what it's all about. So... Well, I do know that things aren't all being dark for you because I watched your presentation at the Ozark UFO <laughs> conference. And tell us, you tell us about the Ozark conference or your yeah, lecture. I, I had never done a speaking engagement and I was a nervous wreck. It was several hundred people. And Linda Moulton Howe, um, Grant Cameron, Richard Dolan, <laughs> and me. Nobody. And I was um, second to last speaker. They had placed uh, Grant as 
can I can I just jump in there, please, Nancy? You're not a nobody, right? But just the people like Linda Moulton Howe, Grant Cameron, Richard yeah. Dolan, myself, and Philip wouldn't have anything to say without people like yourself. Oh, so you are an important part of the cog. Well, just before I went out, it was so I was a wreck. I was a nervous wreck, and this warm fluid seemed to fall or, or come over me from head to toe. And it just calmed me completely down. And when I got out there, it was like a horse coming out of the gate. And I was being, I watched i watched the uh, interview or the speaking engagement. And, and I go, that's not me. <laughs> but they were speaking through me. And um, I was powerful. I, I got a standing ovation. I was the only speaker. That <laughs> sounds so terrible. But they got one. And I couldn't believe everybody hugging me and telling me they loved me. And I got so many emails from people all over the world um, telling me their stories because they knew that they could trust me. And I've heard it all. And I responded to every one of them. So these are my friends. These are my family and my people. And uh, they knew I was telling the truth. Um, there's nothing to gain. Uh, there's no money. You know, there, you, you, <laughs> there's nothing to gain. Um, no, no as I, as, I mean, I, I watched that presentation you did, Nancy, and I, I, had I not known otherwise, I would have, I would have thought you'd been at it for years. You know, <laughs> and um, when it comes to the the Experiencer Club or the Alien Abduction Club, call it whatever you will, it's the kind of club that nobody wants to be a member of. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But for, for those that are, you know, uh, uh, well, as a teaser, maybe just give the, you know, our, our listeners some idea of some of your experiences that that are featured yeah. in in your book Preordain. Just tell oh. us a little bit about that, please. Well, realizing who I was dealing with, um, like I said in '61, when I, oh, I didn't say <laughs> when I was on the ship, um, the pilot looked very human. And uh, after I awakened, I, they, I was started getting messages and um, illustrations that I was to put to paper. And I drew one of a, of a reptilian. And I didn't really know what I was drawing. And when I was done, I was told to put the words, um, see me as I am. And um, I didn't know what that meant until I went to a, an abductee group meeting where I was viciously... <laughs> laughed at and attacked that's a reptilian a draconian reptilian they eat babies i mean you know <laughs> they weren't even experiencers with reptilians and they're telling me all i knew was that this was a loving being and um one of the messages i i, I kept at, if i ask i always get an answer and i kept asking who are you who are you and this is the the response that I got, quote, you ask who we are. You have only to look in the mirror. We are you. We are all one. And another message was, we are not alien to this planet or any planet, as we have always been here. They are scientists, researchers, geneticists, teachers, just like us. They're no different than us. They're not doing anything different than us, except that they're hundreds of years advanced and they're watching over our evolution and studying these emotions 
And the way that they study these emotions is via the pineal gland. And this is the place where all thoughts are formed. They're also upgrading our DNA, which God knows needs to be upgraded. But the reptilians date back 240,000 years. They were seen as gods. And humanity, since humanity began keeping records, their uh, legends of their participation in the creation of humanity still continues. And I will tell you and anyone that I, it is my firm belief that they created us. If you've ever seen a, a baby in utero, you've seen a reptilian. You see the tail, you see the webbed hands and feet. And there are humans born today still with the tail and the webbed fingers and feet. I have a girlfriend who has webbed feet. Um, even Dr. John Mack recognized and worked with experiencers that uh, had positive experiencers with the reptilians. They've really gotten a bad reputation because researchers don't want to, they don't want to touch that subject. Um, they're afraid to even go there. Yeah, it, it does seem, doesn't it, that, um, mm -hmm. you know, most ufologists, they'll accept the greys or even Nordics. You know, but as soon as you start speaking about reptilian-like beings that are visiting the planet or, or, or already here, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. this barrier does seem to come up when, you know, why do you think people do that? <laughs> because everything is based on how we look. Um, you know, the beautiful blue-eyed blondes, they're, they're easily accepted. Um, you know, we this is one of the lessons that we have to learn is we have to learn to look inside the person and quit looking at the outside. Um, hmm. So, what what do you think their ultimate goal is then, Nancy? What, what, why do you think? I know you've mentioned about altering the DNA. Uh, you know, uh, you, you've also mentioned to us before we started uh, recording today's show that that they're empathic as well. So, how, how do you work that out? How do you how do you come to that conclusion? Well, because of the things that I've gone through in the last. Um, <laughs> since 2011 that just keeps escalating and um, finding other experiencers who, who, who've gone through the same thing and receive the same messages and they're in other countries how would we all be receiving you know these similar messages um, and my pregnancy um, very now, just before you talk about that um, yes. Yeah, you know, because let, let's just put some points out here. How old was you when you became pregnant? I was 62 years old. Um, Which isn't the normal age for a lady to become pregnant, is it? No, especially despite menopause and a tubal ligation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I knew the exact exactly. second I got pregnant. I said, I'm pregnant, and it's a boy. And it was a voice that came out of me, that, and words that came out of me to the man I was dating. Um, mm. And I don't know... But I knew, and that was around the 28th of February, and I was pregnant for about seven weeks, and I have pictures, took pictures in, in the book, and um, Drax was taken April 15th. I woke up, my stomach was completely flat, but during my pregnancy, um, I was visited by a small gray, and um, I was in bed. And when, when the small gray came, I, I pretended like I was asleep because <laughs> hmm. I wanted to see what was going to happen. And he, and I take mental notes of any time that I'm aboard craft or with the beings. I, 
I call them collecting souvenirs, uh, things that would stand out that you would um, that you would know this is really happening. Well, he was right-handed, and I, I found humor in that. He was making small circles over my stomach um, with his right hand, and he said to me telepathically, "I'm making one last check on the baby," and that was just shortly before he was taken. And after he was taken, I asked them why they took him. And they used the word claimed, which I found to be an odd word to use. So I Googled it like I do everything. And the word claimed means to assert ownership. But I volunteered for this mission. And I was given this message. You were an abductee, then an experiencer, and now you are a participant Drax is a gentle, loving being. He is a thinker, a judge of sorts, as every society needs judges. He will make many wise decisions. Now, Linda Moulton Howe called me. This was before the um, Ozark um, presentation. I never knew I was going to meet her at the Ozark. But she called me in 2016 um, regarding my pregnancy and the picture sent her a picture of uh, my stomach. I'm tiny. I'm like 100 pounds, 105 pounds, and my stomach's flat. I work out almost every day. Um, and the stomach is absolutely the stomach of a pregnant woman. It's, does, it's not anything else. And when she called me, the first words she said was, out of 1,500 people in the abduction syndrome, you are the only person that has described the pregnancy and shown a photo. And then she asked why I was impregnated with a being that would not look human. After everything you've been through, she asked. And I told her I've asked myself that a million questions. Um, but I believe that Drex was created the way he was and that is one of the messages I got Drex is exactly the way he is meant to be um, exactly so hmm. again getting past the the looks of what we expect someone to look like absolutely so let's, let's just move on mm -hmm. to after this day when um well, the pregnancy ended, or the pregnancy was—I don't want to use the word terminated—but um, the pregnancy was terminated, or it was the, the fetus was taken away, or whatever you want to call that. Mm -hmm. Let, let's move on to the numbers in January the first, 2017. Well, yes, and this is oh boy. For me, this began in uh, 2014. It was me and Cindy. Um, I never have my phone to my ear. My brother died of, of cancer, um, and he was on the phone all the time, and, and he had a tongue, lung, and throat cancer, and I really believed it had to do with the phone being next to his ear all the time. But it started with the phone from 2014 for several weeks. Um, my phone would call Cindy. I wasn't even in the same room. It would call her three, four times in a row, and she'd call me up and say, Stop it. I'd say, What? She'd say, you keep calling me. And then during our conversations, we would hear these really weird uh, conversations, and they were always 
with people that were in peril. One was a woman calling a hospital, and we could hear her terror. And another one sounded like a sting operation. You could hear these men saying, oh, <laughs> he's coming out of the building. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, my, it, January 1st, 2017 is when it really got weird. Um, I was on the phone with a friend of mine who's an attorney. He's one of my best friends and has been for decades. And I was talking to him about, and he he has no interest in ufology whatsoever. But I was telling him about a download that I'd gotten. And all of a sudden, the um, dial pad on my phone pulled up. And I'm looking at my phone, and a, a number is pressed, and there's a number put at the top of my screen. And then another number. And every few seconds, uh, another number would be pressed until there were seven numbers. And I was a st- I'm was very uh, alarmist anyways. I said, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, and Tom said, um, write them down. I said, write them down. I'm Googling them right now. So I Googled the seven numbers, and they were to a U.S. patent for a, quote, movable ground-based recovery system for a hover system equipment, which is associated with um, NASA's Spitzer, if you can tell this is way over my head, telescope and SOFIA project. Hmm. And then the numbers um, started back up again. And when they got to the 18th number, I said immediately, they're done now. How would I have known they were done now? But the next, I wrote to him. His his name is George Sarver, by the way. I don't know if he's going to appreciate that. But I wrote to him to tell him about the numbers and how my phone dialed, uh, gave me those numbers. And I said, this is just so odd. I said, "I, I believe that you are part of this. Anyways, the next five numbers took me to the the human gene ID. You can't make this stuff up. And when I got off the phone with Tom, who is a very laid-back gentleman, uh, doesn't say much, but when he does, you listen because he's very intelligent. Um, he, He sent me an email, which was very unlike him. He would have normally called me. But I got this weird email from him telling me that after we hung up on the phone, he started hearing numbers being called out, and he muted his TV to find out, you know, where the numbers. He said he couldn't make them out, but it was a woman's voice. And David Chase, who was a friend of mine, surmised that just possibly, even though Tom lives an hour away from me, just possibly, he was hearing me as I was staring and, and repeating the numbers he was hearing me, somehow tapped into me and into this high strangeness. Hmm. But um, and the last six numbers, all the numbers had meaning. The last six numbers were another patent for an electrical distribution that uses used enormous amounts of copper. Um, so that <laughs> that's just one of several um High strangeness. <laughs> yeah, another strange occurrence. Absolutely. But it's not so strange after all because I called Dr. Ray Hernandez who said what I was explaining was quantum physics. 
again, I never, I had never heard of quantum physics and didn't know what it was. Mm. But he put me in touch with Brent Rains, and um, who told me that John Keel had also received intelligent uh, interactions and response and communication via an AM/FM radio in the mm. '60s. And there yeah. were several people that have. have Preston Dennett actually has a chapter in his book called A Phone Call with an Alien um, about physicist Jack Sarfati and his phone call with an alien. So he said that he believed there were enough cases out there that this needed serious investigation, and I believe it, it does. There's a lot of accounts. That's, that's interesting, that. I mean, you know, a conversation with an alien. There's a, a, a colleague of mine, so I think Nancy, she's no longer with us, um, and she was called Cynthia Hind, and she lived in Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. of all places. And um, so we'll lo- you would have loved to... Chris, I don't think you ever met her. You would have noticed. No, she, I never met she her. Was, so. She was a great big woman, in, both in size and in in in, in, in personality. But Cynthia um, traversed the parts of Africa in her research, and I can't remember. I'm trying to wrap my brain to remember the name. I'm I'm hopeless at remembering and pronouncing names, Nancy. Um, but she was in touch with a um, uh, an abductee stroke contactee. And this person was given instructions, for want of a better phrase, on how to build a radio by which he could communicate with these these beings. So he did, and he said it worked. So Cynthia said, well, you know, let, let me have a look then. So she made an appointment and she went to this, this person's house. And at a certain time, they were supposed to, you know, he made this thing. And they were supposed to get a uh, you know a message through it. And Cynthia was an educated lady. She you know she checked this thing out. It wasn't you know it wasn't a fake. It wasn't a hoax. There was nobody trying to trick her. And, and it didn't happen. She was just about to walk away when the voice came out of it. <laughs> and that seemed, wow. Yeah, and it seemed, yeah. It seemed, yeah, it's in Cynthia's book. Um, it's one of the few uh, UFO books that I've read several times. So. Uh, when you said those things, it just reminded me of of, of that incident in in Africa, of all places. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more open-minded we are, the more we allow these um, synchronicities and these odd experiences to happen. We become conduits um, and tenants for these things. One thing I've got written down on my pad, Nancy, I didn't like to interrupt when you were talking. You know when you go right back to 1961, mm-hmm. and your friend Cindy, did, did she undergo any hypnosis, or did, or did you know things come back to her? Did she remember things? Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my phone. I mean, my um, computer froze for a few seconds. I- Please start over again. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was saying you, your friend Cindy. Back in 1961, did she remember anything about what had happened during that period of missing time, or did she too undergo hypnosis? Oh, we remembered the ship, and we remembered the police, and um, we just didn't speak of it. A a few times I did bring it up to her, and I said, just tell me that it happened. And she said, it happened, and I don't want to talk about it. 
Yeah, but you, you, said, you was, said you had some hypnosis to, to sort of fill in that time period. I had hypnosis done in September of 2011, like... Um, Two weeks what after I, I awakened, and then yeah. Cindy had one just before she died. Yeah, that, that's that's. The, so what did it did it you know confirm everything you'd been saying? Absolutely, and I yeah. have um, I have recordings of um, three of my five regressions, and I have the full recording of Cindy's regression, and um, it's amazing. When she was asked why she was on board, she said, "I believe I was there." Because Nancy needed me, and I believe I was there because God wanted me to be with her. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> well, I've got I've got, an, I've got another reason for asking because there's a there's a new book out at the moment by uh, Nick Redfern. Nick's a lovely guy, he's an English guy, and he lives but he lives in the states. And he's talking about Britain's most famous encounter, which happened in Rendlesham Forest in 1980. But won't go into all the details. What he claims, Nancy, is that the UFOs seen that night weren't UFOs. This was a a test conducted by the U.S. military using hallucinogenic agents, laser beams, you know, um, and all kinds of stuff. But in his book, um, that's just, I can't remember the name of it, but I'm reading it now. I'm about halfway through. I'm like you, Chris. I've got four books on the go. In different, in different rooms, all half read. But he also, but he also talks about the Pascagoula case with Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson back in 1973. And he claims that that was the same kind of thing that they got, you know, either on purpose or accidentally, uh, were um, messed with by the U.S. military. That the, you know, uh, but and I was talking to Calvin about this just yesterday and um, of course if that happened you know if they were given some kind of hallucinogenic agent well then you both wouldn't have the same hallucination surely you know you know you know they would be entirely different it's like if 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 i were to ask you to invent a story about something nancy and ask chris the exact same question and you went away and separately, you'd come back with two completely different stories. You know, yep. it's like it's like when I did my O level art at, at high school. Part of it was there were several set sentences on the on the blackboard, and you to draw a picture that was related to one of those sentences. And one of them just said the full moon. So, you know, you can interpret that any way you can, but I did a werewolf. <laughs> you know, but that, that was, but what I'm saying is if, if, if we'd have all been asked to do a picture about the full moon, we'd probably got 30 different pictures, you know? Right. Um, but yeah. But, well, but, Cindy's regression pretty much mirrored um, everything I'd said uh, during mine. Um it was amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. Okay, so what I want to do is bring this up to, like, well, more or less today if we can. You, you've published the, the book, mm-hmm. Preordained, which I, I know people can get from Philips Flying Disc Press. and They can look for that online or they can find it on, on Amazon. Uh, just Google it. I'm sure that it, it'll come up anyway. Now, let's bring this up to 
this point here that that I know you wanted to talk about, and you, me, August the 21st, 2018. Oh. What happened there? Well, I can't really get to that without without okay, starting. That's, that, that's okay. Um, if you want to go, if you want to go back a little bit and, yes. and bring us up to that, that would be okay. great. Nancy. We'll have to start with the Buddhist monastery. Uh, that's absolutely fine. You go ahead. Because in a nine-day <laughs> period, the last three chapters. Uh, <laughs> nine days the last three chapters happened um, I was invited to speak at this Buddhist monastery and I kept turning them down mm-hmm. anyways I because I knew nothing about Buddhism it was a small group of people but I had all these pre- preconceived ideas and beliefs about Buddhist you know I thought monks wouldn't be interested in aliens or abductions yeah but um I found out that Sokusan was more well-versed than I was in ufology. Hmm. So when I left the, the, the monastery, it was, it was a beautiful, um, I had a beautiful time. I was welcomed with open arms and open minds, no, no judgment whatsoever. Everyone was curious and asking questions. But after I left and I got home, I started doing a little research, and I found this symbol called the sunyata, mm-hmm. which is a Buddhist symbol, meaning empty or void. And to me, the sunyata, it's got a little opening in it. And I saw that little opening as a way to uh, enter other dimensions or realities. Yeah. Now we'll now I'll step forward exactly one week from the Buddhist monastery, one week. Now it's August 19th, 2018. Mm-hmm. And this is <laughs> unbelievable. This is slipping the loop. Yes, I, I, it's titled Slipping the Loop. Um, the only way I can explain it is, is like if you've ever fainted and you come to. Well, as I was coming to, I was watching myself be reassembled. Hmm. Um, I was watching my forearms and I could see all these fuzzy energy particles like atoms and molecules almost dancing around like jigsaw pieces putting me back together and once my forearms were complete I watched my hands and then my fingers and I was holding my steering wheel of my car so do you think this was some kind of an, an abduction experience then well, I didn't know at the time, but now, as I as I look back on it, I think that maybe this was definitely some kind of a samadhi I had entered. Hmm. But I thought, well, maybe they had put me back before they should have because of mm-hmm. what happens in the next chapter. But because um, maybe I came to before I was supposed to, and I actually saw how it was done, missing mm-hmm. time. I actually saw what happens when you're coming back from missing time, being reassembled. I know that sounds really strange, but I was witnessing my own return, but I didn't know from where. And um, I I knew I was driving my car. I was driving my car. But I was lost and disoriented. I don't remember getting in the car. And, And it entered my mind that I should pull over to the side of the road and get my bearings but then I I understood 
that I was experiencing something very new, and I decided I was just going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt no fear. And in fact, I found humor <laughs> that I have no responsibilities, no place to be. I ha- don't have to answer to anybody. I live all alone in a small apartment with my cat, so I can do whatever I want. I'm, I mean, I'm the perfect uh, victim. <laughs> would miss me, so I allow myself to completely experience I think there are plenty right on. Lectures on I would to um, I know I have a third side of me. I, I know I have a book. My mission and no matter how there and experiencers experiences that that we'll have an open mind and listen to them. Yeah. Have you have you been yeah. told that? Nancy, or is it just something you feel inside yourself? It's a knowing, and um, 61, I, I didn't talk about that, but they put this um, cylindrical rod in my hand, and I understood that when they put this in my hand, that it contained information, and I was downloaded with all of this information that I would come to use 50 years later. Now I see this. At the time, I didn't know but I knew that it contained information. And I was told, take this baton and run with it. Be an ambassador. So that is my um, my mission is to be an ambassador for, uh, for these um, light knowledge energy beings. Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked you, because I, I, again, I remember going back in time speaking to a number of abductees who felt compelled in some way uh, to step forward and and meet like-minded people and persuade others to step forward, uh, and they weren't quite sure why this was. Mm-hmm. They just felt that it was the the you know either a need or the correct thing to do. And um, I remember what you know saying to one or two of them, well, you know, just beware of, uh, of some of the stigma that it's still attached to this subject. You know, so you be, be, you know, brace yourself and be prepared because it, it you know, it, it is, it is there. But uh, so, so that's why I asked the question whether you just yeah, I, I think I signed up for this. I, 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 I know I signed up for this. Um, this is this is my mission. Um, this is, and it's also how I heal. Every time I tell my story or my experiences, I'm healing and I'm helping others. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, we're coming. We're just about to come to to an end, I believe. The time time's running short. If if I were to ask you this uh, question, Nancy, just answer it. Why? What? You know? Why? Why do you think I should read your your books? Oh, they're so important. Uh, they're so important to this entire uh, field of ufology. I think I have very um, important information and I'm very lucky that I have the witnesses and the 
um, the recordings in, in Quebec what I say. Um, otherwise, these books could never have been written. And um, it, valid, it validates other people who've, who've had similar experiences, yes. What, what I would say as, as the publisher of the, of the book, it, it, it is a very different book. So this is not your common or garden UFO book. So, you know, that is the reason that persuaded me to, to publish it, Nancy. And I must say, seeing your presentation at the Ozark Conference, um, I, re I remember my first presentation, which is going back some years, and I, I talk about nervous. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but um, like I say, we're, we are coming to an end. I would say to, to people out there, this is nothing to do with finances. Uh, if you think people who author who write these books make a fortune, then you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> and like Nancy said, you know, she is of the opinion that what she has to say is of importance to the general public and to others who have had similar encounters, similar experiences. And uh, I, I know, you know, Chris uh, remarked to me when he, he began reading the book, you know, he, you know, he found this fascinating. So that's good enough for me, is it not, Chris? It is, yeah. It's def it definitely, definitely different to, um, as you've already mentioned, Phil, a, a, a typical, you know, definitely, definitely typical uh, UFO publication. It's not something like, you know... Uh, Donald Kehoe would have wrote back in the 1950s. This this is really a personal experience for Nancy, and I think people should buy a copy of this and, and, and get this information out to them. And uh, Grant Cameron, I call him Sir Grant Cameron. Um, <laughs> he considers um, my my books um, significant, and he considers them to be key. In understanding the UFO mystery, he wrote the yeah. foreword for um, Preordained, and he um, also published my first book. Well, I think I think we'll we'll end it right there, Nancy, mm -hmm. because I think that sets a challenge for the UFO community out there. Do you do you think Nancy's right? Well, I certainly do, Phil. Yeah. Can I just say? Can Thank I just you. say? Can I just say, Nancy? Um, on behalf of Inside Outer Limits radio show, myself, Chris Evers, and uh, I know Philip will want to thank you as well, but I want to thank you for your time. I hope it wasn't too daunting for you, and uh, we treat you with a little bit of compassion and a little bit of uh, a bit of believing, to be quite honest with you. You, you know, you, you, you've got a, a brilliant story to tell, and people need to be aware of this. So thank you for joining us on Inside Outer Limits radio yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Nancy. I mean, I, what I would say is, whilst there are similarities with some of the things that Nancy talks about there's also an awful lot in her book that is quite unique and for, and for that reason alone I think I think you should read it thank you both so much bless you and thank you so much for, for, for giving me this time and Philip thank you for publishing my book and believing in me I know it, it, it's been a rough ride for me and um I love well, it. Well, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the times, Nancy. I mean, what I would say is, is God bless. And I hope, you know, you and all your friends and family and in the small town in which you live, you know, ride out this coronavirus and come out of it, you know, 
uh, all the better. Inside Outer Limits is a regular feature on the Paranormal UK radio network. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.